Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Do you need heavy equipment or farm equipment? Look no further than Southern Equipment and Parts in Laurel. We have a wide selection of new and used equipment from many top brands. We also offer parts, service, and rentals. Whether you're a contractor, farmer, or just need help around the house, we have what you need. Southern Equipment is your one-stop shop for all farm and heavy equipment. Visit us at 5237 Highway 84 West and southernequipparts.com or call 601-651-4555. Or free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. All right, here we go. Another edition of the Super Talk Eagle Hour. We're glad you're tuned in this afternoon. Bob Getty of the Southern Bank Corps Studio in Hattiesburg. My buddy Luke Johnson, he's at the Southern Bank Corps Studio in Laurel. And Kelly Santer is at the Sheridan Hotel in New Orleans at Sunbelt Media Day. We're glad you're with us. Opening segment is sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue Pit. A place we praise every day because the food is always delicious and they're the best catering source anywhere in the Pine Belt. If you've got an event coming, make sure you contact Dickie's Barbecue. Patrick McGee will update us here shortly about the New Orleans Saints training camp is open. But first, let's go back to New Orleans. We'll go back to New Orleans for Patrick. Let's go to New Orleans for Kelly Sander. He's at the Sheridan Hotel. Had an interesting conversation earlier today. Kelly, set it up for us. Yeah, John McDade is the coordinator of officials for the Sunbelt Conference, Bob, and he was the keynote speaker this morning to all of the Eastern Division teams, athletic directors, coaches, and players, talking about some of the rule changes that will impact uh, the play in the Sunbelt this year. Some of, some of the rules were just simply to speed up the game a little bit and cut down on the number of plays, uh, the number of plays in college football averaging about 180 plays or so. They'd like to get that down a little bit, and it's all out of player safety, the fewer plays that the players have to be exposed to, obviously, the less less chance there is for injury. That, among other things, but let's let's hear what uh, Mr. McDade had to say this morning about uh, rule changes and the upcoming season in the Sunbelt Conference. Coordinator of officials for the Sunbelt Conference, John McDade, is getting ready to address uh, the media here at Sunbelt Day in New Orleans. John, let's let's start to, uh, no, let's, we'll start educating our, our listeners in Hattiesburg. Not not many rule changes, but um, but. Rule changes 101 for us. Yeah, the big one you're going to see is, like we see in the National Football League, if we have a first down inbounds, we're going to keep the clock running outside of two minutes in each half. Um, under under two minutes in the second and fourth quarters, we'll stop the clock like we have done um, for over a century. But outside of those last two minutes in the second and fourth quarter, we're going to keep that clock running if it's a first down inbounds. Something else you're probably going to see, uh, if your opponent's kicking a field goal and late in the half and your coach has got some timeouts left, he's only going to be able to use one of those to ice the kicker, you're only allowed to take one charge timeout per dead ball period. Now, that, that is a rule change as well. Okay, so I think I think even the, the least educated football fan can keep track of that. But, but as rules continue to evolve, and a lot of the conferences in college football emulate you know, NFL rules, is there a limit as to how much we're going to protect the quarterback to, to where it almost gets ridiculous? I know you guys don't make the rules, yeah. right? But, I mean, we're just talking. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to talk about it in, in terms of uh, of uh, we limit it, right? Um, 
he is defined as a defenseless player in our playing rules, right? And as a defenseless player, other defenseless players would be someone that's in an act of catching a pass, someone that's in an act of catching a punt. Um, someone who has just given themselves up out of bounds. We're going to protect a passer, a quarterback, um, as a defenseless player as well. Um, we need to work hard um, to make sure that we are consistent on how we're protecting that quarterback. Um, our, our clinic starts tomorrow in Birmingham, Alabama. We have a session with our referees, the center judges, on Friday morning. We're going to talk about roughing the passer. And I'm asking them to, to consider four different standards for roughing the passer. Is he arriving late to the quarterback? Is he creating forceful contact above the shoulders to the head and neck area? Um, is there a second act? I didn't get there late, but then I picked you up and I stuffed you into the ground, something of that nature. And the fourth would be, do we have forceful contact into the area of the knee? Those are all definitions of rough in the passer. Um, and I'm trying my best to ha have my uh, uh, referees and center judges have a, a framework of judgment so they consistently say, um, if this is roughing the passer in this game, it's the same standard we're going to use in the next game. I have thought that instant replay in any sport kind of um, can be a detriment in the fact that it, it doesn't, you know, officials can make a call and say, well, if, it's, if I get it wrong, it, it can be overturned. Is, is that a concern at all? That it, I hesitate to use the word lazy because I know how, how hard you guys work to, to do a, a good job. But to have that safety net there, I almost prefer... Look, it's a game played by humans. It should be refereed by humans, win, lose, or draw. I can tell you unequivocally, officials don't think that way. They want to get it right. But at the same time, if it's a reviewable element of the game, they want to get it right. So if they rule a touchdown, but video shows that it knees down before the ball breaks the goal line play, they want replay to come in and get it right. But there's tons of, of uh, 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 there are many parts of the game where the judgment of the official is not a reviewable element of the game. You talked about roughing the passer. Defensive pass interference would be another one. What they judge on the field is what we're going with. That's not something we can bring into the replay booth and evaluate a second time. And the Sun Belt has a, has a partnership with one of the other conferences. Um, is it... Um, for Mount, officiating yeah, our, yeah. our officiating program has the Southeastern Conference, the Sun Belt Conference, and the Southern Conference in it. Can you tell us how that works? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, our training and development program is the same for all three. So, for instance, I alluded or, or mentioned earlier that we're going to have our uh, uh, preseason officiating clinic start in Birmingham, Alabama tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, you're actually on the road after. I'm after on the road after I, after I talk up on the main stage. We're going to have 240 on-field and replay officials from those three conferences in the same hotel going through two and a half days of meeting. So training development for all three programs throughout the year is consistent. The evaluation process is broken down by the conferences. So our officials get evaluated after um, every game in the SEC and the Sun Belt. That evaluation is done under myself and a team of uh, what we call position specialists and film graders. In the uh, Southern Conference, I have an assistant coordinator, Mr. Perry Havener. All the evaluation for those officials in the Southern Conference are underneath them. Okay, so it has nothing, the rules are all the same. Everywhere. Rules are all the same. The standards that we're teaching of what is a foul or not a foul, the mechanics that we're using, all the same. And when you make assignments for different games, is it just arbitrary as to who goes where? It's not arbitrary. First and foremost, um, I have some officials that may have a special date, uh, family wedding, where they have a closeout date. I have to factor that in. I have officials that have conflicts of interest that they've declared. Uh, I'm a graduate of this school. I currently have a son or a daughter that's attending this school. I need to make sure that they're not working those games. So you factor all of these things in, um, trying to give all the officials an equal number of games. 
also trying to factor in that they minimize how many times they see one team in a year, making sure they don't see uh, the same team in back-to-back weeks. It becomes like a big math problem, and you sit down and you create a comprehensive assignment that takes care of all of those different uh, 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 resource conflicts that you need to make sure you meet. Final question before we let you go. It seems like in America today there's there's a lack of civility, whether it's politics or whatever. Are you are you seeing are you and your colleagues seeing? That same when it comes to fans and things like that, are fans behaving themselves or are they getting more ugly as society tends to get more ugly? I, I, I can say this. At the level that we're working football in my officiating program, whether it's the SEC, the Sun Belt, or the Southern Conference, we have some very good game management and security people around us. And our officials, by and large, don't feel threatened. That being said, I would be very remiss. There are people officiating football at uh, Pee Wee all the way up through high school, junior colleges, uh, Division Two, Division Three. It can be a much different story. Um, yes, there is a lack of civility. Yes, officials do feel that heat. And yes, um, sometimes that lack of civility is the uh, the differentiator whether an official decides, you know what, this is for me, or they prematurely retire. John, thank you very much. You're very much welcome. And continued success. Thank you. All right, Kelly Sander with the head of officials for the Sun Belt Conference. Good work down there, Kelly. And Luke, you you sent me a text uh, prior to the show. There's apparently a new rule coming down about roughing the punter. Yeah, Kelly and I were talking uh, talking about it, and it, it stems back from a Kentucky-Missouri game last year, Kelly, that where uh, the ball was snapped over Kentucky's uh, punter's head, and he turned around, ran probably 30 yards in the backfield, picked it up and kicked it, and the Missouri player took him out. And, uh, you know, they got, Missouri got flagged for, uh, for rough for the kicker. Kelly, that, that rule has now changed. Tell us about it. It is. It is. The new, the new rule going into effect this year is that if the punter moves in regular punt formation, has to move any direction more than five yards to receive that punt, then he is fair game. And meaning, and defense will just lick their chops at that sort of thing. I thought, Luke, that you would not like that rule change, but, but I was mistaken. Well, you like that change. Yeah, and, and I did a little more reading about that. It's a good article up that I sent Bob from Yahoo. So rugby punts still remain the same. You still get protection as you have the act of, uh, of the ball. And if you're inside the tackle box, naturally, but it, but it creates a situation, specifically the rule says, that if the ball, if you, if you run behind. So what it does is it, it incentivizes good snapping. It punishes bad snapping. And you know, uh, it, it basically makes a situation like that. If a defensive player is uh, is going to to hit hit a quote runner and then he pulls it at the last second and kicks it, he's not penalized for doing that. So I think it's fair all all around. As somebody who actually got injured in a spring game because of a situation like that, if you're going to punt, punt the ball. If you're going to run, run the ball. There we go. One of the things, yeah. One of the, one of the things that John McDade said this morning to you guys is that as much as much is made about. Uh, roughing the passer and targeting that targeting penalties are down over 60% the last two years so coaches and players are getting the message and are being coached properly how to tackle and a uh, lot less targeting penalties uh, last year. Alright, good work down there Kelly we'll rejoin you after we talk to Patrick McGee. Thank you buddy. I'll be right here. Alright, New Orleans Saints discussion. Luke always enjoys that I'm a new Saints fan Luke, I guess you know that and, uh, because you think we're going to win this year? <laughs> I think so. I, I, I kind of jinxed the team last year, but uh, hopefully better this year. We'll see how Patrick says things are going at training camp right after this.
You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. All right, don't forget you can hear the Super Talk Eagle Hour podcast anytime you like on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Audible, Apple, or you can just tell Alexa to play the Super Talk Eagle Hour. More from Kelly a little later in the show. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net, where you'll find all the Southern Miss football apparel, I guarantee you. It's waiting on you right now. You can shop them seven days a week on Hardy Street, or you can shop them online, campusbookmart.net. But be sure you tell Miss Kathleen that the guys from the Eagle Hour said hello and uh, let her know how much uh, we love her and uh, and think of her. All right, Patrick McGee from NOLA.com. Patrick, what a great day to have you on the show. The New Orleans Saints open training camp today, and down in the Big Easy and throughout Louisiana and Mississippi, that's always good news. Yeah, it's been you know the uh, it's it's been kind of a quiet off season after you know Derek Carr came on board and then yesterday they dropped Jimmy Graham on us and yeah. uh, bringing him in as a tight end and I think that kind of just upped the buzz a little bit. Everybody's been kind of talking about that and, and I think everybody was really kind of amped up and ready to see camp get rolling today with the uh, Derek Carr uh, getting started. How different do you think the Saints' offense is going to look with Carr, or are they going to mold Carr to run the offense they've had the last couple of years? Well, I think they kind of, you know, whether it was Andy Dalton or even Jameis Winston, they kind of had to operate, you know, within the constraints of what the quarterback, whoever was behind center, they had to kind of uh, work to his strengths, you know. And, and with Derek Carr, I think he's a guy back there that they don't really have to worry as much about, hey, can he do this or can he do that or is he going to mess this up, you know. And, and Derek Carr is not perfect. I'm not saying he's, you know, God's gift to, you know, to football. But, I mean, he's he's a guy that really kind of uh, you don't have many limitations. He's got the arm. He's a good athlete. He's got the experience. Uh, we'll see if he makes the right decisions within this offense. But as long as he kind of fits in and, 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 and makes the right decisions through the course of a game uh this offense as a whole if they have everybody on the field and healthy this this offense has a chance to be pretty darn potent yeah this is a good quarterback luke the best quarterback they've had since uh, obviously since drew Brees retired it it is but patrick i mean I, I think it's uh what's just funny is you when you see people put out kind of the the combined stats with with Carr and with what jamison and dalton did that they're kind of familiar um, at the same time, he hasn't. Carr has not has never had a defense. What is it inside yeah. the top twenty in his career? Well, yeah, I mean that it's 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 that's what everybody's kind of been talking about. What can Carr do whenever he's got the you know enough weapons around him, plus really a stable organization and a good defense on the other side? Uh, what what can a team do with Derek Carr at quarterback whenever they've really don't you, when you look at the team, you don't really see one weak point. You don't see one part of the team where you're thinking, oh, gosh, they have zero depth. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is really a, a solid team across the board. A little older, uh, you know, can they still stay healthy? Those are their questions. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Carr's in a situation where he's going to be uh, put in a uh, position to succeed. Um, a couple guys I want to ask you about. Let's first talk Jimmy Graham. I mean, uh, first yeah. several years in the league with the Saints, close to 5,000 yards receiving, 50 touchdowns, 51 touchdowns. And, yeah, I mean, uh, you trade away Trotman during the uh, the draft and whatever the Swiss Army knife Hill's going to be, you got Jawan Johnson. But but Jimmy Graham coming back and may, may, may help you in the red zone. 
Yeah, you, you thought maybe they kind of solved the, the depth issue or just having somebody to compliment Juwan Johnson when they got brought in Foster Moreau. Uh, but, you know, you look at Juwan Johnson, he was pretty good in red zone situations, I thought, a year ago. Uh, but Jimmy Graham, whenever he's out there and, and healthy and producing, he's as dangerous as anybody. You know, he's six foot seven. I uh, can still go up and get it. You know, he's not going to be the same guy that the Saints, Saints fans saw in the first five games of the season. Uh, but he's smart, and he's going to know how to put himself in position to uh, to, to get open uh, in tough in tough predicaments. So I, I think it makes sense. Uh, I don't think he's going to go out there and catch 50 passes this year. Uh, but he's a guy that you know, if if he pulls in five or six touchdowns this year, that's that's a big deal. Absolutely. What are we to make of Peyton Turner in uh, in year three? He's only I think he's played less than fifty percent. Uh, of course, he was the first round pick in twenty twenty one. Saints went with another D line D lineman this year early in the draft, uh, round two with mm-hmm. with Foskey. I mean, what what's kind of the vibe with Turner? You would think this is the year that it's going to kind of make or break his NFL career. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and he's a guy that's had the injury bug kind of follow him. And, you know, there's been times when he's been, I think they've, they've kind of ruled him out even whenever he's healthy at times. Uh, so yeah, this year is, is absolutely huge. I mean, he's, he's quickly moving towards the label of bust this year, number three. And he just hasn't had much of a, made much of an impact. I think, I think he might have had two sacks, three sacks last year. And one of those was up there at Carr. Uh, so Peyton Turner, this is his make or break year in, 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 from my point of view. Uh, he's always been the kind of that project guy, that big guy has that build uh, that you want out of a defensive end, but it just hasn't worked out so far. And they really do need him to play well to just provide some depth on the end because they don't have huge numbers there. They're okay, uh, but you know, in the course of a year, you really do need five or six defensive ends that can help you. Yeah, no question. Uh, Patrick, let me ask you a question from a fan's perspective. Uh, are the New Orleans Saints games all sellouts? I mean, can a can a guy walk up to the ticket office on Sunday morning and buy a ticket to a Saints game? Well, I mean, you'll, you mostly have to go in the secondary market, I would think. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not a problem. I think think about. It. I mean, the Saints have have long kind of uh, you, you have to get in line if you want season tickets mm-hmm. uh, for the Saints. Uh, there's been people who have had season tickets who have lost them because they've had the renovations of the Superdome. Uh, but it's not easy to get into the dome. No, but I mean, there are opportunities. Last year it was pretty easy to get a, a, a ticket, especially in the secondary market, just because the team had really hit kind of a low point, say, mid, midway through the season. Uh, but this year, the way excitement, everything's going, it yeah. will be a special, tough, especially early in the season. And expensive, right? Expensive to go to NFL football games. That, yeah, well, I mean, it's the most expensive thing, heck, is just buying food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In it, at the Superdome, that's really what where, where they get you. Um, it's not cheap to go to a Saints game. No, it's not, especially if you want to go there and eat. Now, maybe, um, maybe different in preseason, right? Maybe a little easier to grab some preseason tickets if you. If yeah, you it should mind be to do so. if, if a lot of people, that's their ch- kind of chance. If they don't want to uh, break the bank, they go to preseason games. Right, right. Did did I read right? No restrictions on Michael Thomas for training camp. Right, yeah, he's he's a full go uh, to start training camp, and that's a big deal because uh, he, he hasn't been full go much at all over the last three years. And and it's I think I think a lot of Saints fans are kind of they've all, almost ruled out Michael Thomas mentally. You know, is that we can't just rely on that guy. Uh, so I think everybody kind of looks at this: if if Thomas is on the game on the field for say thirteen, fourteen games a season, that is a tremendous bonus. 
so yeah, I mean it's it's a big deal to have Thomas ready to go, and uh, he really and and what kind of makes I I think folks have reason to be more optimistic about Thomas this year is I think he's excited about playing with Derek Carr. Uh, he played a role in recruiting him uh, to New Orleans, and I think he wants to get out there and play with him. And and the other aspect is nobody in the league has seen Thomas and Olave on the field together and how yeah. the dynamic about how they're going to complement each other. You almost feel like you're going to get back, you know, to where where Colston had guys around him that mm-hmm. you won't be able to possibly, you know, double or, or shade toward Thomas as you can because if if Perry gets healthy and and some of these younger guys, I mean, the Saints have a real opportunity to 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 allow Carr some big one-on-one matchups. Yeah, I mean, there's real potential. Uh, Olave, I think he was supposed to bulk up a little bit this year and, and hopefully be able to endure a, a full NFL season a bit better. He was a little bit on the light side last year. And if Thomas is out there healthy, you're talking about a really good duo, far and away the best duo in the NFC South and one of the best in the NFC, if not the NFL. Uh, Olave's really kind of a – he's a guy that just looks like a 1000 yard a season uh, just for however long – He's in the league. He's pretty polished coming in, and he's he's only going to get better with time. All right, defensively, the Saints will be strong, right, Patrick? You're kind of starting a new era of the New Orleans Saints, but defensively, it's kind of the same team we've seen the last couple, three seasons. Pretty strong. Yeah, they should be good defensively. I guess the one concern there is they don't have the depth, say, they had a year ago. They had to let some guys go, moved on. Uh, Caden Ellis was a big impact guy at linebacker. He had to sign with the – uh, uh, he signed with the Falcons, a, a nice deal, and they lost a couple of other defensive linemen. Roach, uh, when the other one escapes me, oh gosh, Shy Shy Tuttle, he signed elsewhere. So they lost some depth there on the interior on the defensive line, but they kind of hope they address that through the draft. Brian Rasee, uh, their number their number one pick. Uh, he and you got Isaiah Foskey, another defensive end, and they brought in some other veterans, some guys that have some experience. So I guess there is some concern there, maybe a little bit thin in the front seven. Uh, but in the secondary, they're really deep, uh, really experienced, and they're really experienced across the board when you look at it. Uh, there's just not going to be many teams uh, that can, can that can kind of match that level of experience and talent, especially in the starting 11. I think Kalen Saunders, the guy they brought in from the Chiefs, is, is one guy everybody's kind of excited about to see what he can do and you're number one with the Saints. But we'll see if Carl Granderson can be that, that compliment to Cameron Jordan or Ken Afosky or a Turner really step things up. Yeah. Lastly, Jonathan Abrams, only 26 years old, by the way, Mississippi guy. And yeah, uh, he's yeah. going to be depth at the safety position. Right, yeah. It, it kind of remains to be seen where he's at at this stage in his career. Uh, everybody had high hopes for him, but I know this preseason is going to be really important for him to show that he's still got it. All right, Patrick, thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, guys. Patrick McGee, everybody, NOLA.com. Back to New Orleans after the break. Hook up with Kelly Center and wrap up our coverage of the Sunbelt Media Days from the Sheridan Hotel. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. All right. Are you in the market for a golf cart, a new icon golf cart from Noel Daniels Motor Company? You can buy one at a great price. Had it delivered anywhere in Mississippi. Just 99 bucks. These electric vehicles fit all of your needs for the golf course, the farm, and the neighborhood. 
And remember, they'll deliver it to you right here in Hattiesburg or wherever you're tuned in today to the Eagle Hour for just $99. they got a great inventory. They'll always give you the best deal regardless. Just tell your phone, take me to Noel Daniel Motors in Brandon, or you can shop online at noeldaniels.cars. 4th Street Bar and Grill sponsors this segment of the Eagle Hour. Great food, great drink, always sports on the TV, Southern Miss memorabilia, one of our favorite hangouts, 4th Street Bar and Grill. We think you'll love it. It's right at the shadow of the rock. All right, Kelly Sander has been uh, in the Big Easy since yesterday, doing a great job covering the the Sun Belt uh, Media Days. And, Kelly, a couple questions from me. Uh, now that it's winding down, just your overall impression of, uh, of what you've seen down there. One of the things that really has jumped out to me, Bob, is, is you know, and, and so many Southern Miss fans have, have commented and panicked about, well, who, who's the Golden Eagle quarterback going to be? We don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. I have been amazed at the number of teams, and I would dare say half, half of the teams down here in the Sun Belt do not know who their quarterback is uh, going into game one. Now, they might, you know, the coaches, the coaches might know, you know, who has the advantage over the other, but a lot of these teams talk about quarterback competitions in fall camp and that they just, they're just not absolutely 100% sure as to who their, their starter is going to be. And I found that remarkable. And, you know, Will Hall has never, has never panicked when asked about the, the situation. And, and a lot of the other teams appear to be in the same boat. And it could be maybe that the way the game is evolving through the transfer portal and so on, that, that it just might be in vogue now, not to name a, a starter until you get closer to, or that the athletes are just so good that they are, you know, competing for that, for that opening day slot. But a lot of the teams you know, say they do not know at this point who their starting quarterback is. The other thing that comes to mind is this is that, that you didn't see in Conference USA and other, and this is, this is a stark reality that Southern Miss fans are going to have to deal with in the future is that the money that is going into athletics in some of these schools, for example, Georgia Southern in Statesboro, Georgia, announced this morning $100 million of improvements, including an indoor training facility for the football team, an indoor batting facility for the baseball team, and a brand-new basketball coliseum. I mean, a brand-new one, $100 million, that between the state and money being raised, that, that that's that's going to happen in Statesboro. So I mean, this is the type of, of things as people talk about competing at a national level and going to that next level for Southern Miss. Southern Miss fans are going to have to ante up, you know, with if they're going to, you know, long range be able to keep up. And that's going to be the challenge that Jeremy McLean alumni and the state of Mississippi, quite frankly, are going to be dealing with. If schools, um, you know, other schools in the Sun Belt, you know, big money was put into James Madison's facilities a couple of years ago when they made the transition, you know, to, to uh, where they are now. So it's, it's staggering the amount of money that a lot of these athletic right. departments, schools are committing to their athletic programs. Right. I know you talk to, if, if not all of the coaches that are going to coach against Southern Miss, most of them, it may have been all of them, uh, the vibe you got from them about, uh, about their teams and, uh, and playing the Golden Eagles. Well, they've all, they've all talked about how, how they, that Will Hall has gone about it the right way. Uh, you know, investing in local kids, um, taking advantage of that Southern misreputation of the blue collar chip on your shoulder type of thing. Uh, it's not surprising at, at all. They know that this defense is, is, is going to come after you. Um, offensively, 
uh, you know, with Frank Gore, they keep talking about you know Frank Gore being in that backfield, and how you know the league continues to evolve. It used to be, you know, we talked about the fun belt and how teams would win or lose forty-eight to forty-five, but this league is making a transition uh, to to more of a defensive league. Marshall last year wound up, and and I, I just had forgotten this. Marshall wound up as the ninth best defense in the country last year, and when you saw the the, the struggles, you know that. Uh, Teams like South Al and Troy put on other teams' offenses. It's it's going to be really tough to to get yardage on a lot of these teams this year. It's not going to be fifty two to forty eight anymore. Uh, and and just how from bottom to top, most of these games come down to one possession, one possession, one mistake here or there can make the difference of the games. A lot of these coaches talked about how many one possession games they lost, how many one possession games they won. And we can sit back there and, and even look at the Eagles situation. That was very much the case for them, other than Georgia State. Georgia State, they were they got outplayed. They just got they just got thumped by the Panthers last year. But every other game, it, you know, it, but that makes it good for the fans. It makes it good for the players. It makes it good for the league. When you when you step on the field and aren't necessarily sure whether you're going to win or not, it just makes for a healthy conference from top to bottom. That's good football, Luke. One possession yeah, it, game. It, it is, and and uh, Kelly, why is it you know that I'm trying to I'm trying to process going into year two of the Sun Belt, and you feel like so much closer connected, and it could be geographical, it could be that we're way more familiar with these programs, but it's almost like it's almost like there there's not like this bowling over like like uh, fan hatred, although there is. At the same time, it seems as if it's both. It is the fact that we are really happy with the relationships we have with these schools in this league, and yet the week that we play them, we'll want to just you know beat the tar out of them. It, I've just I didn't feel that in Conference USA as far as a connectedness. I think it's because of the familiarity with the programs, Luke. I think the word you might be searching for is respect, or at least that's what came to mind when you were describing it. Um, win or lose, whether whether you beat Southern Miss or or lose to Southern Miss, most teams will tell you they're going to know. The other teams know that they played Southern Miss, right? They're they're going to put a hurt on them one, one way or the other, whether they win or whether they lose. And that's been that's been you know consistent through the years. And with Will Hall's offensive prowess, you know it's like all these teams are just waiting for this uh, offensive explosion maybe to happen. But again, you counter that with the strength of of the league overall defensively. It's going to make for a real interesting mix. And injuries are always the biggest piece of the puzzle, right? And some teams are a lot more deep than others. And you got teams like Old Dominion who, who have like 45 new kids that they've had to bring in this year. As good as Marshall was, uh, Coach Huff talked this morning about how he's got a bunch of new pieces that he has to plug in. So, uh, you know, and with the transfer portal, you've got players moving in and out. So chemistries have to be rebuilt. It's almost every year. Uh, it, it could be complete makeovers. You just never know. And remember, Troy was picked to finish in the middle of the pack in the West last year, which is where the Eagles are predicted this year. And Troy won not only the division but won the won the conference. Yeah. So maybe that's a maybe that's a good omen for the Golden Eagles who are picked to finish in that same spot. Hope so. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse, uh, but I'm saying this because multiple head coaches and the commissioner brought it up yesterday. Um, a lot of people in the Sun Belt from the top down calling for NIL reform. And and they've and they've there as we as we mentioned earlier, they've um, had coaches actually you know um, 
they, they've talked to Congress, talking about a congressional that, that they need a congressional resolution, which always because kind of me because I'm, the states I'm, can do as they please, and because because functionally in this situation, the NCAA has zero authority if state law is able to trump their regulations and and, and, be, and because state rules are different, it can be advantageous or disadvantage you know a disadvantage depending on which state you're in. So all the schools would like there to be uniformity and clarity one way or the other. I don't, I don't, Bob, I know that's you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we, I don't know that we've talked to many coaches that like this NIL situation the way it exists. You can benefit from it. Southern Miss football has benefited from it. I think that's fair to say, guys. But uh, what I hear you saying, Kelly, is there's pretty much uniform belief with the coaches in this league that something needs to be done to get better control of this. For sure, and, and, and that, there's, that there's transparency. Yesterday, Terry Bowden was talking, uh, the Louisiana Monroe coach, and, of course, he's, he's been around for, you know, jokingly, 100 years. But he's talking about, look, you, have to, you don't necessarily have to like it, but you have to embrace the fact that, that it's going to be around. Um, he lost as many players to the transfer portal as he, as he gained this year. And, of course, when you're talking about low budgets, Louisiana Monroe has one of the lowest Division One budgets there are. So he said you just have to be creative in the ways that you deal with it. But, again, going from state to state, some states are more conservative than others when it comes to those sorts of deals. And so you have to try to even the playing field as much as you can. And it seems that the general consensus is that Congress will have to get involved, which always makes me nervous because I'm not a big fan of, <laughs> yeah. of government regulation. Yeah, but right. uh, nonetheless. Yeah, that's right. Good stuff. You go hang around a little bit longer with us and uh, kind of wrap things up. How's the food been? I should have asked you that earlier. Well, the, for for dessert now, they're they're serving some uh, chocolate bread pudding. So uh, mm. yeah, during the mm. break, I'm going to go sag a little bit, and I'll be I'll be right back with you. It's always been my favorite part of covering sports events. There's no question about that. I have never turned down a free meal at a sporting event, Kelly. I never met one I didn't like. <laughs> exactly. More from Kelly in just a few minutes. Going to take a quick break here on the Super Talk Eagle Hour. Want to thank Mo Babe and Yay Company for all they do to support our program. It is a great place to enjoy wonderful dessert. I think they're open seven days a week. They're on Hardy Street right across from the campus. Our thanks to everything from Mo Babe and Yay. We'll be right back. Southern Miss to the top. Final segment on this Wednesday brought to you by DBAT and D1 Training on Hardy Street in Hattiesburg. DBATHattiesburg.com. DBAT and D1. Great instruction facilities, training facilities. It's all there at DBAT and D1 Training. Matt Walner has just hit a home run uh, for the Minnesota Twins as they're taking on Seattle. And guess what, Bobby? hit another one last night. Yeah, it seems so, to be getting in the swing. He is. We uh, we had Al Holder on reporting for it for us about Walner yesterday, and Matt hit a two run home run last night. Uh, today against Seattle, he is uh, one for two 
with a solo shot. So keep him up. Keep him uh, in front of those uh, more at-bats, Twins, and, and you'll you'll come out better for it. Southern Miss Basketball Edition getting a 6'11", 220-pound Australian with three years of eligibility left. They're going to have to teach me how to pronounce his name, and I'm not even going to try right now, but obviously a center from uh, transferring from Seminole State College. 6'11", 220, just coming out for us uh, on, on uh, in the Twitter sphere in the last uh, few hours. So Jay Ladner gets another big, and that's that's what we needed. So Luke, Bob, and Kelly from the Southern Bancor Studios in Hattiesburg and Laurel. Kelly in New Orleans, we go back to him. So uh, in the Sheraton, good good spot for uh, for, for Sunbelt Media Days. And, and, Kelly, I know you've just been, as we've all said, that the Sun Belt does it right, do they not, in uh, in facility. And, of course, we were joking about food, but it's just been a quality event the last two days. Yeah, I think I think what Bob was talking about, too, accessibility, Luke. I mean, here, here's the, the number one official guy out there, you know, which lots of times it's real easy to be defensive when you're in a rules-type mode, you know, but he was there and, and John McDade answering any questions about any potential, you know, and talking about the process of, of how the officials are trained and, and how they – supervise themselves and go over things to make sure that, that they get it right. And a lot of that stuff they wouldn't necessarily have to share, but the but complete disclosure and transparency. Um, and, and, you know, he was talking about one other thing this morning that I thought was really interesting, that, that two or three years ago, I mean, there are legal ways to distract other teams, but there are illegal ways to distract other teams. And one of the things that they're starting to see now is as teams' offenses deal with no crowd noise and so on. They go to these hand clap uh, sequences, you know, in order to snap the ball. But they're seeing now that that officials. One of the things now that they have to try to to keep track of is where the claps are coming from. Because sometimes now there'll be uh, claps that might be coming from the bleachers. They've they've actually found some uh, coaches at, at different Division One schools uh, using claps from the sideline to try to get the defenses to jump out. So now. As if the officials don't have enough to worry about, now they have to try to find out where claps in those situations come <laughs> yeah. from to make sure it was not an illegal way to try to, you know, to get the defense to jump. So I mean, it is so competitive. I just feel bad for these officials, man. It's tough. And and just kind of recapping, Bob, yesterday with with uh, Commissioner Gill, he's trying to get to seven to eight uh, bowl games for the conference. The championship game this year will be on either ESPN or ABC, but viewership up over a hundred percent. And and Bob, for for you and me, um, before we came in the Sun Belt, trying to figure out all the different platforms. Now we can just go to ESPN Plus and watch any sport in the Sun Belt. Conference. It's amazing. It's just amazing, and uh, it really soaked in with me this spring during baseball. I literally didn't miss a baseball game because everyone was uh, on ESPN Plus, and there there was no camera from the top of the building. At Western Kentucky, it was an actual broadcast. But Luke, you, you missed that Western Kentucky broadcast just a little bit, right? Yeah, or the uh, was it Middle Tennessee where it was the the Ferris wheel security cam? Where, it, it was one of the two. It was terrible. <laughs> and Bob, terrible. you were talking you were talking about Al Holder and uh, talking about Matt Walner earlier. We always joke with Luke about how he doesn't know a lot of the people we grew up with. But when Al Holder was comparing Matt Walner's skill set to that of Nellie Fox. Yeah, and I think um, they were personal friends, Nellie and Al. I think they became friends over the years. I mean, that that's even before our time, and you've got to go back a ways, you know. Hey, before we run out of time, one thing that I, I heard the official say that I, I really caught my ear was the 
decreasing lack of civility among fans. And uh, I, you know, I, I have to go back to App State. I mean, I, I saw a couple of games last year and some, some, you know, video after the games where, where their fans were pretty daggum rowdy and really kind of over the top. But isn't that kind of a sad comment that uh, officials now some leave the game because of the lack of civility among the fan bases? Yeah, and about the comments you made about those uh, App State fans, Bob, some of them apparently have heard about it and have extended you a special invitation to come up to Boone uh, for the football game this fall no, no. where they can resume that discussion. Yes, well, next year when the baseball team comes here, I'm going to invite the coach's wife to go sit over in front of the bullpen at Southern Miss. And then she, hey, she will have something to be upset about. The original OGs were the ATOs, 2003 Nebraska. Our student section was throwing change at the Cornhuskers. Actual American currency. That that's uh, that's taking it to the next level. Yeah, I mean, I think Southern Miss fans, for the most part, are very humble and quiet in all their sporting events, and certainly that's the reputation among the that, league. That's right? what it appears from those sweets at the Pete Bob. But when you get down. <laughs> Did he say Southern Miss fans are quiet and genteel? Yes, I did. Hey, Kelly. Great work, man. We really appreciate you going down there. You did a great job. And uh, look forward to all these coaches' interviews coming up. Thanks, guys. See you soon. All right. Southern Miss. To the top. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.